The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 111 Solomon Builds the Temple Not long after Solomon became king, he received some emissaries from a kingdom to the north. The Phoenician kingdom of Tyre, ruled by King Haram, had sent both workers and material for the palace of David some 30 years earlier. Haram had been friendly with King David and he wished to convey his congratulations to David's son as he ascended the throne. Solomon knew of the kingdom of Tyre and its fine craftsmen and material. He sent a message to King Haram in return. You would know how my father wished to build a temple that would be dedicated to God, said Solomon in his message. He could not begin it because his kingdom was at war through much of his life. Now, though, God has given me rest from war. The kingdom is at peace on every side. God told my father that I would be the one to build a temple for him. The time has come for me to begin. Your nation is known for its beautiful wood and skilled craftsmen and I would like you to supply me with both for the building of this temple. In return, I will pay you in whatever means you wish for the services and material. Haram's reply was swift. I rejoiced when I received your letter to know that David has such a wise son to rule in his place. I have great respect for your father and for your people and I am more than happy to give you whatever help I can in building this temple. My men will cut the timber for you and ship it to Joppa, where you can convey it to Jerusalem. In return, I would like for you to pay me in food, oil, grain, and wine. Solomon and Haram immediately went to work on fulfilling this agreement. As part of the payment, Solomon sent food to Haram's household every year for a long time in recognition of the great service that the kingdom of Tyre had provided. In the fourth year of his reign, Solomon began the temple. This house, dedicated to God, was to be built on Mount Moriah, where the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite had once stood. The special altar that David had built to stop the plague in Jerusalem marked the spot where God wanted the temple to stand. Solomon conducted a census as he began the temple and found that 153,600 non-Israelites lived in Israel. Some were provisions of war from the reign of King David Others were immigrants who had come to be a part of Israel's success under Solomon's rule. He divided these foreigners into teams for the preparation and transport of materials for the temple. Some leveled the building site at Mount Moriah. Some cut the stones for foundations and walls. 
and some were sent north to help the Phoenician timber cutters. Those sent north were in Tyre for one month and back home for two. It was hard, back-breaking work. All the materials that were to be used in the temple were cut and finished before they were brought to the building site. Despite the huge work taking place on Mount Moriah, the sound of hammers and axes was never heard on the construction site. Everything fit together exactly as it was supposed to because of the care that was taken to produce a perfect building. The work took seven years. Even with the vast number of people Solomon had working on it, a tremendous amount of labor was involved. At the beginning of the project, workmen flattened out the top of the mountain and took away the altar David had constructed to prepare a place for the temple's foundation. Huge stones were brought in from quarries surrounding Jerusalem and pulled into place by teams of men and oxen. The foundation was laid first, then the walls built around it. The temple complex began to come together slowly. David had planned the construction in its entirety before his death, and Solomon followed those plans precisely and used the materials his father had assembled. This house of God was to be one of the most magnificent buildings ever constructed. King Haram of Tyre had sent a man to oversee much of the project. This man was also named Haram and he was an extremely skilled metal worker. Under his expert direction, the plans for the temple came to life. He was also responsible for much of the fine gold, silver, and brass work. The floor plan of the temple mirrored that of the tabernacle that was constructed after the Israelites left Egypt, but was made of stone and cedar wood instead of cloth and skins. It was also much larger. A court surrounded the temple. Two exterior brass pillars framed the entrance to the temple. A huge brass laver or bowl for the priests to wash themselves with was in the court of the temple. It was 21 feet across and supported by 12 brass bulls. Inside the temple, Beautiful cedar and fir from Lebanon made up the walls and floors. There was no stone on the inside. All was made up of hand-carved wood panels. Gold was everywhere inside God's house, overlaying the altar, the floor, the walls, and all the carvings. A veil inside made of the finest cloth and dyed with the most expensive and rare dyes divided the temple into two chambers, the holy place and the holy of holies, which was only entered once a year by the high priests. Within the holy of holies were two cherubim made of olive wood and covered with gold. These cherubim were 21 feet high, and each had two ten-and-a-half-foot-wide wings dominating the space they sat within. All the instruments and furnishings inside the temple were made of gold, 
silver or brass, chains, candlesticks, tongs, censers for incense, spoons, basins, and various other items for temple service were made to an unparalleled finish and quality. With all of the structures, including the court outside and the walls and towers around the temple court, the entire complex was several acres in size. The temple itself was about 42 feet wide, 126 feet long, and 63 feet high. Although not a large building, it was much larger than the tabernacle had been. Eleven years after Solomon inherited the throne, and after seven years of hard work, the temple was finished. Almost a year after its completion, the temple was ready to be dedicated, just before the Feast of Tabernacles. All the crops had been taken in, and all Israel came to Jerusalem to keep the feast. The king invited the leaders and chiefs of the tribes to the dedication, which was a week earlier than the feast. This was the greatest occasion in Israel since the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Everyone who was able to come showed up for the dedication of the temple. A crowd of cheering people lined the streets as the procession bringing the Ark of the Covenant up to the temple passed, headed for the Holy of Holies. Throughout the day, sacrifices were made across the whole city, too many to even count. The tremendous offerings the people gave that day pleased their king and God. They were all united to praise and honor him. After the parade and the furnishing of the temple, the priests came back outside. Musicians and singers praised God in song. Suddenly, a thick cloud filled the temple. None of the priests could re-enter the building because of the cloud. God was showing his presence through the cloud, just as he had at the dedication of the tabernacle nearly 500 years earlier. Solomon stood in front of the altar, which had been prepared for an offering to take place later. As he saw the cloud fill the temple, he lifted his voice to address the crowd. God is showing his approval of this temple. He is with us here. This is his house now. The people quieted in respect for God's presence. Solomon turned to address the entire congregation of Israel. He eloquently reminded them of God's mercy and how he had fulfilled his promises to them. He then expounded on how his father David had wanted to build the temple but had been told not to by God. He told them of how God had given him the chance to build the temple in his father's stead. Solomon then knelt before God and with a booming voice that could be heard across the whole crowd began his prayer of dedication for the building. 
He praised God for his mercy, his blessings, and the promises he had kept. He stated that the temple was too small to contain God, that God's presence reached to the farthest corners of the universe. Solomon asked that God would hear the prayers of everyone who offered them from his house, even the strangers and foreigners from other lands, so that all people of the earth would come to know and fear him. Solomon asked God to use answered prayer as a tool to bring everyone on earth to him. He wanted everyone to see God at the temple in Israel. Solomon knew that God was working out a plan that went far beyond the borders of Israel. He knew that this magnificent house was going to bring fame to God from people in far countries and that they would want to be a part of what was happening in Jerusalem. Solomon knew foreigners would come to pray in God's house for spiritual education and to learn more about the God of Israel. Solomon's prayer showed a deep understanding of God's great plan for mankind. Finally, Solomon asked God to put his name on the temple, to protect the people of Israel, to forgive them, and to rescue them when they fell into trouble from enemies, diseases, or disasters. As he finished the prayer, fire shot down from heaven. It struck the altar, leaving behind nothing of the sacrifice that had been there seconds before. This tremendous signal of God's approval so astonished the people that they dropped to their knees and praised God. At Solomon's urging, the musicians for the temple service began to play and sing again. At the display of power, a joyous mood overcame the people, and this carried on through the Feast of Tabernacles. Everyone involved was inspired by the dedication service and the opportunity to keep the feast at God's headquarters. They listened to messages about God's laws talked with each other, enjoyed good food and drink, and participated in many activities. We are commanded to keep the feast today just as it was anciently. Although we do not have burnt offerings as ancient Israel did, Jesus Christ fulfilled the picture typed by the Old Testament sacrifices. So many sacrifices were given at the dedication that a temporary altar had to be added to handle them all. 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep were sacrificed at the temple alone. At the end of the Feast of Tabernacles and the last great day, the Israelites returned home. They were thankful not only for the great festival they had celebrated, but also for the new temple, their wise king, and the instruction they had received.
After the temple was completed, Solomon turned to the task of building himself a palace. This grand construction project took 13 years, almost double the time of the temple. Fewer men worked on it, and Solomon was not in as great of a hurry to finish it as he had been to finish God's house. Again, Solomon used the Tyrian builders of King Haram. The palace's main section was over 200 feet long, 100 feet wide, and 60 feet high. This section contained the throne room. Solomon decorated this room lavishly with gold and precious stones, while the rest of the building was stone and cedar. From the glittering podium of this room, he ruled and judged Israel. The palace also held a wing for his Egyptian wife. In addition, there were dining rooms, game rooms, various courtyards, porches, rooms for entertaining, and guest rooms. Solomon's palace was a huge, magnificent edifice that displayed Israel's power and wealth to the surrounding nations. Gardens, artwork, and beautiful buildings combined to show what could happen under just government. When the nation was led by a righteous king who followed God. Just as he had talked to Solomon before he built the palace and temple, God talked to the king in a vision again after the palace and temple were built. I have heard your prayer from the dedication of the temple. I answered it by calling it my house. I will dwell there and set my name on it and it will be mine forever. If you will walk as your father David walked in my judgments, my statutes, and my laws, I will establish your throne forever, your children and your children's children will carry on the legacy of the throne of Israel. However, if you turn away from my laws to follow paganism, I will cut off Israel, he said. I will leave the temple and forsake the people, and all who pass by will know Israel only as a byword. People will ask what happened to this great nation, and they will learn that it happened because Israel forsook its God. Israel will be an example of failure to the nations, an example of what happens when people turn from me to follow other gods. Those other gods will not keep this fate from coming to pass. Solomon awoke the next morning filled with resolve. He wanted to continue to obey God, to allow God to bring blessings 
not cause the downfall of the nation. At the time, he had the best of intentions. Solomon was thankful for God's blessings, grateful the nation had been given so much prosperity, and excited for what the future held. Nevertheless, trouble loomed ahead. Haram had given much to Israel, craftsmen, materials, and much assistance in the building projects and public works that Solomon had undertaken. It took a lot of resources to build Solomon's temple, and it became apparent that the rate of payment Solomon had been giving was not enough for what the kingdom of Tyre had provided. Thus, in recognition of the service King Haram's country had provided, Solomon gave 20 border towns to Haram. The king of Tyre was not happy with this payment. He had little use for the cities. Tyre's economy was not compatible with the small, agriculture-centered towns. Haram rejected the gift, necessitating another form of payment. Solomon was not pleased by this, but to pay Haram, he decided to levy a heavier tax on the people. This put a great burden on them and was a cause of much unrest that would follow his reign. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the resources tab at pcg.church.